Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and for the wonderful words of life that we find in Jesus, our Saviour. We pray that you're blessed now as we come together around word this second time this morning. Lord, help us to be able to think clearly. Help us, Father God, to be concentrated upon your word and we pray that you meet us we're at today, Father God. You know uh, exactly our needs. You knew who was going to be here today. You knew the passage of scriptures are going to be preached. We just pray that, Father God, there be a blessing to each of us, Father God, this day as we study your word together. Use me, I pray, for your glory. Give me clarity of thought so I might have clarity of speech. And may you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. There were some... We're in the region of six million slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century when Ephesians was written. In fact, it's estimated that slaves made up around half the population of the Roman Empire. We need to remember that slavery was, not ex was ex an accepted institution back in the days of the Ephesians. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament is slavery per se attacked or condemned although the overall thrust of the gospel is against it. And Paul's ministry was not to overthrow the Roman government or any of his institutions. He makes that clear in Romans, where he talks about the fact we are to those in authority over us. But his responsibility was to preach the gospel and to win the lost to Christ. Now, it is true that the results of his evangelism ultimately led to the overthrow of the Roman Empire, but that was not Paul's main motive. Just as the preaching of Wesley and Whitfield resulted in the abolition of, abolition of slavery and child labor, the elevation of women and the care of the needy, so Paul's ministry contributed to the death of slavery and the encouragement of freedom. But at the time of writing the book of Ephesians, slavery was very much a part of the way of life of the people who lived in Ephesus. So as the book of Ephesians draws to a close, it is appropriate in the section of Ephesians which deals with relationships, which he's doing with, he's done from uh, chapter 5, verse 20, right through chapter 6, verse 10. He's been dealing with relationships. It's only fitting that in a section where he talks about relationships that he would deal with the matter of Christian servants and Christian masters, which he does here in Ephesians chapter 5, and verses, six, uh, verses 5 through 9. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Today we're going to take a look at the first of these instructions, which is to Christian servants. And Lord willing, next week we'll have a look at Christian masters. And Paul here gives a series of directives to servants. The first directive he gives to servants is that they were to obey their masters. Look in verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ servants were to obey now the word servants here only refers to Christian slaves but it may also apply to Christian employees in general even in Christian employees today the word servants here the word used here denotes one who was bound to render service to another. That's the idea. Bond slave. Someone who's bound, 
by whatever constraints there are to give service to another. The servant was a bond slave. Now the phrase bond slave, the Greek word here for servants, actually means a bond slave would that service be free or voluntary. A free, free and voluntary, or whether it be by constraint. Okay, so um, the idea is that they, this may well cover both these ideas of both a servant and a slave. Someone who is in servitude to somebody voluntarily or someone who is enslaved to somebody who's been purchased as a slave and therefore are bound to be slaves and can cover both. And so it may be applied to uh, individuals who are simply just employees. And therefore it may be apply, applied today to employees. So we can read this section to do with the modern day employee as much as to do with the slaves of the days of the Ephesians. Okay, so while you and I might say, well, there's no slavery today, and uh, in general there's not, although I did hear the other day a report that in, in Australia there is uh, something, I think they said somewhere in the vicinity of 20,000 slaves in Australia in various places, uh, which absolutely amazed me. I think it amazed the reporter too at the same time that slavery still is very real even in Australia today. But uh, the phrase here, slaves, you know, you and I could say, well, it's not for us. We can just walk away from that now. We don't need to bother that. We skip this passage and we'll jump straight to put on the whole armor of God. But the problem is that it is talking about both kinds of servants, one who is in slavery and one who is free from voluntarily serving the master, a bond slave. In fact, the phrase bond slave carries the idea of someone who was actually in servitude as a slave, had then been set free by the master and then chose to continue to serve the master. Okay, So they had gained their freedom, they had their ticket of freedom, they had their papers to say they were free servants, but then they chose, because they loved their master so much, they chose to stay as a servant to that master. And so it can equally be applied to employees who choose to serve their masters. Now you and I need to remember that nowhere in the New Testament, as I said earlier, was slavery attacked, nor was it defended. And Paul is not making a defense for slavery here, nor is he attacking it per se. Okay? What he's trying to do is he's trying to set some principles, some guidelines for employees, how you should treat those who are your bosses, how you should behave in the employ of another. And so instead of condemning or condoning slavery, one of the themes that runs through the New Testament with regards to slaves is they are to view their situation of service as serving the Lord. And that's the point here, verse 5. Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. They were to view their service as service to the Lord. And Paul, therefore, tells servants that they are to be obedient to their masters. Now, the word obedience here in verse 5 means to listen attentively, to heed, or to conform to command to authority. So do as you're told. Okay? If the boss says do something, then you obey it. If the boss does something, you listen attentively to what the boss says. You then take heed to what the boss is saying. You conform to that command and that authority and do what you're asked to do. Now, since they were saved, the point here is that these are saved servants. Since they were saved, they were to show their faith 
by their behavior. They were to be a testimony in the workplace, the one they were working for. By their obedience to their master's instructions, they demonstrated that they indeed were born again. There was something unique about their behavior, something unique about the way they lived, something unique about the way they treated their masters. These masters after they're caught in the flesh, and there's no indication, by the way, that the masters that Paul's talking about are saved. There is when we get down to talking masters in verse 9 where he's talking the saved masters. But here in the context of servants' masters, there's no indication that these masters are saved. He's not saying, saved servants, you are to obey your saved masters and disobey the unsaved masters. It's masters in general. Any boss that you have, anyone who's your master, you are to obey them. As I said, slavery was a way of life for many the Roman world and therefore slavery was the way of life for many new converts and therefore they needed instruction how to behave now that they were saved you see with salvation came new freedoms with salvation came a, a, a new equality because everybody comes to the cross on the same ground and everyone gets saved the same way doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor doesn't matter whether you're a master or a servant doesn't matter whether you're bond or free. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It makes no difference. When you come to Christ, you come as an equal. And the very nature of salvation created within the Roman world this sense of equality, and if they weren't careful, these servants were going to no longer respect their masters who were unsaved. And so it was necessary for them to be given some instruction as to what they're to do now that these saved servants are serving their masters. The same is true for us. While we're not slaves, many of us are our employees, and we are to show our faith by our behavior, by being good employees. You see, it ought to be said of you and I who serve, who work, it ought to be said of us that there's something unique about us, that we're good employees. By listening attentively, to our bosses and conforming to the command and authority of the bosses. Paul's admonition to servants to be obedient is reasons. Servants were to obey because they were really serving Christ. Look, secondly, in verse 5 and 6, the end of verse 5, it says that they're to do this in singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as servant Christ doing the will of God from the hearts. They need to obey their masters because they were really were serving Christ. Now it's true, they had masters according to the flesh. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to get them to see beyond their master after the flesh and see that their true master was none other than God. That Jesus Christ was their true master. Their master really was in heaven. When they go to work each day, when they are in servitude each day, when you and I go to work each day, we're really serving Christ. We're really serving the Lord. Our master is in heaven. The fact that an employer or an employer are both Christians is no excuse for either one to do less work. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you have to be less responsible. Rather, it's a good reason to be more faithful than ever before. Because now we're representing God Almighty in the workplace. We are a living, walking, breathing testimony to the grace of God and therefore that relationship we have with the Lord 
who is now our master, ought to be reflected in our day-to-day -day walk. It doesn't matter whether we're an employee or whether we're not an employee. That's a, that's a general statement for all of us, isn't it? That you and I ought to reflect in our relationships the character of Christ. Whether that be in the workplace, whether that be in the schoolyard, whether that be in the community, wherever we be, whatever we're doing, whether it's on the sports field or whatever it is, you and I ought to reflect the very character of Christ because he's our master. We ought to do what we do for his glory. And so the employee should show respect, proper respect to the employer and not try to take advantage of him. We remember that we're serving Christ in everything we do. That's what it says in verse 5, that they were to serve with fear and trembling in singles of heart as unto Christ. We're to serve with fear and trembling. Now, the phraseology of fear and trembling here is that is with great humility and great respect, with reverence for them, giving honor to them, being careful not to offend them. You know, the gospel of Christ in and of itself may be offensive, may bring offense. But the servants of Christ should never be offensive. You know, you and I should not be the cause of offense. If the gospel caused offense, so be it. But our behavior should not cause offense. Because if it does, then the gospel gets clouded by our behavior, by our actions, by what we say, by what we do. And so often what happens is Christianity has been put down by the behavior of social Christians, hasn't it? You know, the name of Christ has been blackened by people who claim to be Christians by their behavior so that the gospel of Christ is not causing the offense. It's the Christian that's causing the offense. And people want nothing to do with Christianity. We say we're a bunch of hypocrites, so on, and they're right in many places. And the, the point here is Paul is trying to get you and I to understand that you and I are to serve with humility and with respect, with due reverence, particularly as employees to employers, giving them honor, being careful not to offend them, and remembering especially we're serving Christ, and we're to serve him with fear and trembling. We're to bring ourselves under the authority of Almighty God and remember we're serving him, allowing that reverence for God, allowing that respect for God, allowing that humility before God to influence us and constrain us in our day-to-day -day relationships so that we might obey people in the workplace, our bosses. Unto Christ. Now this phraseology, as unto Christ, changes our whole perspective as workers. It reminds us that our work can and should be done as if we were working for Jesus Christ himself. In other words, when we go to work, we are to look as though we are, our boss is not the man who employed us, but it's Christ. That everything we do, it, we do it with the vision that Christ is the one who is dictating the commands. Because we are. We're servants of Christ. He is our master. Whatever we do in every, every walk of life, as I said, whether it be the playground, whether it be on the sports ground, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in the community, at the end of the day, we are serving Jesus Christ. 
And particularly in the workplace, as employees, we're serving Christ. He's the boss. Now, we may have masters of the flesh, our bosses, but our real master is Christ. And we should devote our full attention and energy as employees to the job. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleases. Uh, sorry, in verse 5, he says, the trembling in singleness of heart. Now, the word singleness here means with sincere desire to do what ought to be done. And singleness of heart carries with the idea of a readiness, a cheerfulness to serve. Without hypocrisy and with integrity and faithfulness that you and I turn up to the workplace with joy and we turn to the workplace, workplace with a smile on our face, that we turn up with integrity, that we work with integrity, that no one can accuse us of not working with integrity. They may accuse us of all sorts of things with regard to our faith, but they should not be able to accuse us of being, uh, having no integrity, accuse us of not being faithful servants and not being willing servants and, not, and being hypocrites. We're to give them our best to the job at hand. I know everybody here isn't an employee, but in every work and walk of life, it's the same. We need to give our best to the job at hand. Whatever it is that we do, we do to the glory of God. We're to do our best. We're to give of our best to the Master. And he goes on to say in verse 6, not with eye service. Not with eye service. You know, we're not to work with eye service. That's working only when the boss is looking. You know? When the boss is looking, we're putting in all the effort and all the work. When the boss isn't looking, then we're not working so hard. Or we're working extra hard when he's watching us because, you know, we're aware of the fact that we've got to do a better job when he's watching us and we want to keep our employment, want to keep our wage. Maybe we want to get in his good books to get a pay rise. And, you know, we do that with eye, with, 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 uh, uh, eye service. And we can be guilty of that as believers in every walk of life. You know, when people are watching, we live a certain way. When people aren't watching, we live a certain way. The danger is that one day when we're living a certain way because no watching, somebody will be watching and our testimony will be destroyed. You know, we have a, we've got to have a consistent life. We've got to live a life that brings glory to God. We're not to do it with eye service. We have to do a good job, not just give the impression that we're doing a good job. You know, a lot of action, but nothing getting done. Just, uh, you know, we ought to, it ought to be noted that what we're doing actually is productive. It actually is producing something, actually is valuable, that people actually can see that we are doing our best. It goes on to say, not with eye service, as men pleases. We're not serving to please men. You know, we don't go to work to please men. We don't go about our business day by day to please men. We're not here to please men, folks. We're here to please the Lord. We are not to serve to impress the boss, but we're to serve to bring glory to God. In every walk of life, that's the reality of Christianity. We're not here that people might look upon us and be impressed by us. We're here that we might bring glory to God. Sometimes that means they're not impressed with us. Sometimes that might mean that they're offended by our testimony. But at the end of the day, we're not here to impress men. We're here to please the Lord. We're not to be men pleasers. 
We're to please Christ. And then he re-emphasizes this. He says, but as the servants of Christ. He said in verse 6, as unto Christ. Now, as Verse 5, now in verse 6 he says, but as servants of Christ. We're to do our best because that is what brings glory to God. You and I are, seeing, are supposed to be serving our master, and that master is Christ. And you and I are not to do it with, with a, we're to do it with a singleness of heart, with one focus, one eye to bring glory to him. Not with eye service, as men pleases, but as to Christ, we're to do this for his glory because we are his servants. He's our master. Whatever we do, when we get up each day, we need to realize that whatever we go about that day, we are serving Christ. When we go off to work, we're serving Christ. He's the master. When we go to the shops, we're serving Christ. When, whatever we do, we are serving him. So we're to obey because they, they were to obey because they're really serving Christ. Secondly, they were to obey, servants were to obey because they're doing a good job because doing a good job, good job is the will of God. Look at the end of verse 6 there. Do the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Get a theme here? Verse 5. As unto Christ. Verse 6, but servants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. <laughs> In case you haven't got it yet, he just repeats it and repeats it and repeats it so that you and I understand he's saying, listen, everything you do is to the Lord. And doing a good job is the will of God. Doing the will of God from the heart. You know, Christianity really knows nothing of sacred and secular. There is not two lives we live. You know, this is sacred because this is church. And when we get up tomorrow morning, it's secular. And we live a secular life Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, we live sacred. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we live sec secular. And Sunday, we live sacred. That's not what God says. There is no sacred and secular. It's all sacred. See, a Christian can perform any good work as a ministry of Christ and for the glory of God. That's what he's saying, doing the will of God from the heart. doesn't matter what we do. We're to do everything we do to the glory of God from the heart. And the worker must do his job from the heart since he is in Christ and doing the will of God. The singleness of heart of verse 5 and doing the will of God from the heart in verse 6 both indicate the importance of a right heart attitude on the, heart attitude on the job. It's all about the heart. It's all about attitude. You know, we may not like a particular job we have to do. We may not even like the boss we're working for. But that's not the issue here. This is all about having the right attitude towards God. He's our master. He provided for us that job, and we are to do it to his glory, irrespective of what it is. And when we attend to our work with an attitude 
that we're doing it to please the Lord for his glory will affect the way we work. So even the most difficult job and the unappealing job can be a joy when our heart is right. And I'm sure we've all been there. You know, we get given jobs that we don't like to do. I mean, I remember when I first started working, I hated the job of having to clean the toilets. What was I got given to do? I used to hate the thought of that. Think, you know, that was below my dignity. I wasn't there to clean toilets. I was there to do other things. I used to have one boss who, who uh, I found it later. Uh, he's a friend of mine now, and I found it later what he was doing. I didn't know at the time what he was doing, but I, I would get there... And I remember one day, he would have me mow his lawns. Now, this man owned a property that was massive. He's done a ride on mower. It took forever. It took about three hours to mow it with a ride on mower and, and uh, wash his car. So he'd send me away from the place where I was working to go and mow his lawns and wash his car, which seemed a bit pointless. I was actually supposed to be working in a, in a retrovision store, working with washing machines and refrigerators and all that sort of stuff. And here I am out washing his car. And, you know, one day it was 40 degrees. I'm out there mowing the lawns with this ride on mower, and I'm under my breath thinking all the worst thing my boss, you know, thinking that I wasn't very happy with him, wondering where I could quit the job and so on. And, uh, and, and then uh, thought to myself, well, really, that doesn't achieve much at all. And uh, I found it later of him, many, many, many years later, when I'd left employment there and I was living up here and I went back to Melbourne and I got to see him, went in his shop and I said, look, I've got a question to ask you. What was all that about? He said, well, that was my way of finding out just how much of a, faithful worker you would be, would you do anything I asked of you without complaint? He said, I'm so glad that you didn't complain and you just did what you were told. And I smiled. He said, what's so funny? I said, you didn't know what was going on in my heart. <laughs> because I wasn't doing it very happily. I just didn't voice that opinion. But I realized that what he was trying to find out, what kind of employer I was going to, what kind of employer I was going to be. And once I had shown that, he then gave me more responsibility. I didn't realize that at the time. But he's a Christian. I didn't realize at the time, but that's what he was doing. And uh, he, uh, he, I remember I overheard him say one day to somebody, I was standing in a group, and he turned to them, this is many, many years later, and he, he pointed to me and he said, oh, he used to work for me. He was the best employee I ever had. And I thought, wow, that's a statement of something else, you know. And I'm so glad I didn't complain verbally to him. I did under the breath, but not verbally. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He said attitude of heart. Whatever you do, go with the right attitude. So even the most unappealing, the most difficult of job, you can do with your whole heart. I mean, these servants, these slaves got asked to do some jobs that really were not the most pleasant of jobs to do. But the apostles saying, listen, don't do it for the master, do it for the Lord, his glory. Doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill. Doing service with goodwill. The word will here is a good attitude, not complaining. Doing service to the Lord, not to men. Somebody said this, not grudgingly with ill will, but of a ready mind with a cheerful spirit, taking delight in their work, reckoning it a pleasure to serve their masters. You see, the best way for you and I to be a witness on the job is to do a good day's work. To do it wholeheartedly. To do it with goodwill. With a cheerful spirit. Taking delight in it. Pride in our work. Seeing it as a real pleasure to serve the Lord. 
I'm sure there was tasks given to these slaves that they detested. But the Apostle Paul says they were to perform them just the same. So long as they were not disobeying the Lord, they were to do them to the glory of God. Notice what he says in verse 7. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. It means that all the work is really done under the Lord. He reiterates it. As he's done in verse 5, under Christ. He's done in verse 6, as servants of Christ. In verse 7, as under the Lord, and not to men. It's as though he just wanted to underline it and underline it and underline it and say, listen, folks, you're doing this for God. You're doing this for the Lord. He's your master. Serve him. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it with joy. Do it with, with passion. Do it the best job you can do because you're serving the Lord. Spurgeon said this. He said, grace makes us the servants of God while still we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. I, I, Spurgeon just amazes me sometimes. He has he, he, the words, he can put things into words, and you think, why didn't I think about that? And that's why I quote him, because he's, he's so much better at it than me. Okay? But, you know, grace makes the servants of God, makes the servants of God while still the servants of men. That's exactly what grace has done. Made as the servants of God. In other words, because we're saved, we can do all to the glory of God. We should regard our lot in life as serving the Lord, as being, as being ordered by divine providence, if you like, for some wise purpose. God has placed us where he's placed us. He's given us a job he's given us, put us in the situation he's put us into, that we might bring glory to him. This is for his purpose, for his glory. And we may not know what it's all about. We may not know what grand picture of all this is. But God has a plan. And God has you and I exactly where God wants us to be for his glory. And therefore, we ought to live for his glory. Believers should perform our duties at work faithfully believing that we're rendering service to God. Somebody said, a conscientious servant will find happiness in submitting to God and doing his will, just as a conscientious martyr may. A conscientious servant will find happiness in submitting to God and doing his will, just as a conscientious martyr may. We just do it for his glory. Each day, we are to do the will of God and we'll do it for his glory. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says? Wherefore, therefore, uh, sorry, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whereas Colossians 3.23 says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. It should be said of every Christian that they are a hard worker, and then they give their boss a full day's work for a full day's pay. And to do anything less is to steal from their boss. 
See, we're to remember we're serving the Lord and therefore we should give him our best. And lastly, servants should obey because servants will be rewarded by the Lord. Look what he says in verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Paul says that whatever a man does that is right, he will be rewarded appropriately for that action. Knowing that whatever good thing a man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord. I know it says, whatever good thing any man doeth, that is rewarded. Knowing that whatever good thing a man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. You're going to receive of the Lord in proportion of that which you do for the Lord. The Lord makes it clear in his word that we reap what we sow. He says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall, uh, soweth, that shall he also reap. And here we're told that when we serve the Lord with the right attitude for his glory, we will receive a reward of him. The phrase where it says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. The phrase, the same he shall receive, means he shall receive payments in heaven's currency in direct proportion to that which he's done. Okay? The same. So whatever good you've done, the same you shall receive of the Lord. You'll receive a reward in direct proportion to what you've done for the Lord. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because here, the apostle spells it out for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Notice it doesn't say what size it is. It says what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. It's so important that we understand that this trying, this testing by fire will be to test our works to see what sort they are that's Paul's point in Ephesians you and I will receive of the Lord in direct proportion of that which we've done for the Lord and for his glory the whole point is your attitude here determines your rewards it's not the size it's not how big you've done you know that you somehow managed to see uh, 15,000 people saved in your lifetime, it's not about size. It's about sort. What kind of service have you done? Have you been faithful to God? Have you done it unto the Lord? Have you done it for His glory? Have you done it with the right attitude? Have you done it the same He says here, uh, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men, with sinless of heart, not as men pleases, 
not as I, with eye service as men please, but unto the Lord. How have you seen him? Now in Paul's day, slaves were treated like a piece of property. No matter how well educated they might be. An educated, cultured slave who became a Christian might receive even harsher treatment from his master because of his faith. But harsh treatment was not to keep him from doing his best. You see, this is not about the master. This is not about how the master behaves. This is not about, about relationships with other people. This is about you and the Lord. What is our attitude? What is our relation to the Lord? What is our action daily? What's motivating us daily in all that we do? When we go off to work or when we go to the shops or when we interact with other people, what's the motivation for doing what we're doing? Is it because we're doing it for the Lord, for his glory, or are we looking for some reward for self from men? Why are we doing what we're doing? And a slave could not say, because the master treats me bad, then I'm not going to serve him. Paul says, no matter how he treats you, you serve him. Go to First Peter, please. First Peter chapter 2, because Peter picks up this theme. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. First Peter 2, 18. Servants, be subject to your master with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, to the ones who don't treat you so nice. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even... Hereunto, where you call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow, uh, should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled and again, when he suffered, he, treated, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes you healed, for ye are, for you as sheep going astray, but now but are now returned to the shepherd of your, and bishop of your souls. It's interesting, isn't it? In the section on servants, he adds the matter of what Christ's example. And he says, servants should be subject to your masters with fear to the ones who are good to you, but also to the ones who aren't so good to you. Because that's what Christ did. Christ's example was when he was buffeted, he didn't, rebel, didn't respond, he didn't rebel. The whole thing in Ephesians about servants is not about the master. It's not about how behaving. It's not about what the master asked you to do. It's about the Lord. And it's about your attitude. So even if the master, even if the boss has asked you to do a job that you don't particularly like doing, if it's not contrary to the will of God, then you do it to the glory of God. That's a given. If the boss says go and steal, you don't steal. If the boss says go and beat somebody up, you don't go and beat somebody up. But if the boss has to do something that's contrary to the word of God, then you don't do it because you're serving Christ. But most bosses aren't like that. Most bosses, jobs that they give you you don't like are simply just jobs you don't like. And you may well have a boss you don't like. 
but we're to serve the Lord. We're to serve Christ, not men. Notice also what it says at the end of this there, whether he be bond or free. It includes slaves and employees. In case you're wondering if this passage really does reply, uh, respond to those who are free, it does. It's both bond and free. Whether they be bond slaves or whether they be free men, just servants, or whether they be slaves, this passage applies to both. In other words, we're going to work each day with the understanding that we're serving God. Therefore, we're to give of our best the master. An earthly master may fail to render civil recompense to the slave. You know, I may not feel like we're getting paid enough. We may feel like the boss is not giving us what we deserve. But if the servant is faithful to God, God will recompense him in the future. God will not be a debtor to men. He will pay the just reward. We will receive our rewards from Christ, not men. We have nothing to fear for one day. All of our labor will be worth it all. The Lord will see to it that faithfulness receives a just recompense of reward. No matter our rank in life, if we discharge our duty to God and men faithfully, we will be rewarded. I read a story this week that brought a tear to my eye about an old missionary who was returning home after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship as this missionary was President Theodore Roosevelt, returning to the USA from a hunting trip in Africa. When the ship docked in New York, great crowds greeted the president and the press there to cover the story. The old missionary's wife walked off the ship unnoticed, made their way to a cheap hotel to spend the night before traveling west. The missionary said to his wife, it doesn't seem right, in a rather bitter tone. We give our lives in Africa to win souls to Christ, and when we arrive home, there's nobody to meet us, and there's no reward. The president shoots some animals, and he gets a royal welcome. As they're praying before going to bed that night, the Lord opened their eyes, and it seemed as if the Lord said to them, Do you know why you haven't received your award yet, my children? It's because you ain't home yet. Beloved, we're not home yet. So until Jesus comes, let's make sure that we give glory to God in the workplace and every area of our life. And one day, you and I will get home. And when you and I stand on heaven's shore, we'll hear him say, if we've been faithful, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Beloved, it is worth it all to live for his glory. We may not yet have the reward, but we're not home yet. But when we are, he will reward us faithfully.
Let's serve Christ as our master faithfully every day. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this challenge to servants to serve you with sickness of heart, to serve you, Father God, from the heart, to serve you for your glory, knowing, Father God, that one day, if we're faithful, when we arrive home, we'll hear you say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Lord, commend your word to our hearts this morning, we pray. And bless now as we close in Jesus' name. We're going to sing in closing hymn number 369.